Well, good morning, Peachtree. It is such a glorious day if you are with us in Atlanta, Georgia. It's so good to be with you and to continue the the great opportunity of being able to share in God's word together. We've been in the midst of a series that we've called Uncertain Times, and today we're coming to the exciting conclusion of that series. We're coming to this moment where we are getting towards the end of David's life. And you just need to know that David's last chapter in his life is not some sort of easy and early retirement. Just as unpredictable as his early life was, the end of his life is just as crazy. After David and Bathsheba and that incredible incident, David finds himself in exile because his son Absalom tries to take over the kingdom and successfully does. David eventually comes back. There's almost an immediate kind of another revolt. There's three years of famine. There's this moment where David is almost and dramatically killed and his nephew rescues him. And basically we get to this point in David's life where they take away the keys to the car for him. And it says in 2 Samuel, summarizing this part of the journey, that David became exhausted. And so David is now towards the end of his life. And what's going to be his last great act? It's not going to be a military campaign. It's not going to be some great edict or the way that he restructured that society politically or religiously. It's going to be that he has one last song. One last prayer. I want to show you an image here. I wonder if you know where the phrase swan song comes from. I didn't originally and had to research it. And in looking it up, I discovered that it's not a modern phrase. It's actually an ancient phrase. It goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks. And it's a term where ancient people discovered that there were these grace-filled, silent, quiet swimmers and creatures and that what they discovered that was that towards the end of these creatures' lives, that right before they died, they would often sing the most beautiful and haunting of songs. That's where we get the phrase swan song. And what we're about to discover is David's swan song. The last great thing that he does with his life is to sing. The song that David sings is so important that it's in the Bible twice. It's both Psalm 18 as well as a whole chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 22. It's a really long song, so we're not going to cover it all. We're just going to pull out some of the highlights. But one of the things that we're going to notice is that David has some very incredible and strong convictions about who God is towards the end of his life. Let's look at them right now. David will call God my shelter, my listener, my pleasure, my sustainer, my forever. Let's first look at my shelter with these verses. These are some of David's favorite words to describe, favorite images for God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. Over again, the thing that David says is he calls God his sanctuary, his safe place, the, the place where he can find a sure footing and a place where he can be secure. 
David knows where he is supposed to go when he's in the midst of distress. It says, and Corey Ten Boone reminds us of this. She says, you don't know that God or Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. Back in 2017, there was a couple by the name of Daniel and Cindy. They had been living in their house for 17 years in Santa Rosa, California, this beautiful community that's nestled up in the Sonoma Valley of the wine country. And they woke up at 1.30 in the morning with Daniel having to shout to his wife, get up, we've got to get out of here. Because the fires that they had been reading about and seeing in the news had all of a sudden taken a dramatic turn and were headed for their home. And now their home was surrounded by an inferno. They immediately tried to, without grabbing anything, just to go out the front door, but they noticed that they couldn't even make it out their driveway, that the flames were going over their driveway. Seeing no other place to go, they went out their back door and they jumped into this, their swimming pool. They wrapped wet towels around their head. And this is how they describe their experience. The grass beneath their feet was crispy and black. The air was chilly and smoky. They reached the edge of the swimming pool and they stuck one foot after another into the cold water. And once they were shoulder deep, they draped wet towels over their heads. The flames danced across the roof and rolled down the sides of their home. Then came the popping as the fire reached over a hundred rounds of shotgun and rifle ammunition from one of the upstairs bedrooms. The oak tree just to the north of the pool became a bouquet of fire. And then the pine tree to the west did too. Both trees loomed overhead, the flames licking into the darkness. They discussed the things that they were losing, watching room after room of their five bedroom home burn to the ground. The reality of what would never be recovered. The photographs, the mementos from college, the souvenirs from family vacations, it all settled in. But for most of their time in the water, the adrenaline robbed them of any other focus other than being able to try to stay alive. This is what their house looked like when all was said and done. They found their shelter, their place, a place to stand and survive. For David, that shelter was God. Do you know that God is that one secure place that you can go to in your time of need, in your time of darkness? And so in David's swan song, he first discovers that God is his shelter. And then he communicates to us that, that God is his listener. He says this. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. God listens to David. And he'll listen to you and me. I remember when we were hiring a pastor when it was at a previous church, we were going through the search process and we had a search committee and there was a woman on that search committee that had grown up into the church, but for her, her religion practice was very formal and ritualized. When we interviewed this one pastor, one of the last things that we did was we asked him to pray for us. 
He prayed for us. We said amen. He left the room and we immediately started our deliberations and our discussion. And when I opened things up for a discussion, this woman immediately chimed in and she said, you know what, when he was praying, it sounded like he was talking to someone. It sounded like he believed that someone was listening. You see, for her, her whole life, her faith was more of a ritual. It was formalized. And, and yet for this pastor, it was a relationship. God is waiting with bated breath to listen to you and to me. You know, Ernest Hemingway famously quipped one time that most people never really listen. And there's a cumulative effect of the reality of what he observed. We don't feel like we're significant. We don't feel like we matter. We feel like we're isolated. You probably read the same news stories that I do about how diseases of despair and hopelessness are on the rise. I think the primary reason for that is because at the heart of all of what's going on there is that we don't really believe that someone is listening to us. That's true for the people around us as well as true for our relationship with Almighty God. We have what I would like to refer to as functional deism as well as functional atheism. In other words, maybe God's there, but he started the world and set it up and he's not really involved anymore. Or maybe we don't really even practice or live our lives in such a way as God exists. You know, most of the efforts of us trying to help with these diseases of despair is that we work with kind of self-help books and we work with business books that either work on trying to grab people's attention or we work on listening techniques. I love how this philosopher puts it. Gordon Marino says it like this, good listening is not a matter of technique, but of having the willingness to enter into another person's life. This is what God does for us. God enters into our lives and gives us his full attention. You don't have to try to grab God's attention. God is available to you and to me right now. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And my oldest daughter, Danica, and I have been reading some C.S. Lewis together. And I remember one time after we went over some C.S. Lewis, she wrote this down with her beautiful penmanship and her letter writing. This phrase from C.S. Lewis that God has all of eternity to listen to our prayers. Do you believe that right now? That God is fully available and present to you? And I just want to pause for a moment and invite you to say, knowing that God is waiting for you to speak, will you just... In this moment of silence, just speak a word to God. Tell him something right now in the quietness of your own heart or say it out loud if you want to because he can hear you either way. But start the conversation right now. My guess is that even though we often get so distracted from prayer, that when you start the process of prayer, my experience is you're not gonna to wanna to stop.
And so David in his last song, his swan song, is talking about how God is his shelter, his listener, but also his own pleasure. Let's look at verse 20 together. He brought me out into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. God delights in you. It doesn't say for God so tolerated the world that for God so, you know, was impatient that he he finally couldn't do. No, God so loved the world. He delights in you and me. You remember that moment where you go to a Chick-fil-A and you say thank you and the response is my pleasure? There's that little moment where maybe you realize when your heart leaps in that moment that maybe this is more than just a transaction. Maybe this is more than just an exchange of goods and services. Maybe there really is delight in the world. A couple of weekends ago, I got to go down for Labor Day to 30A to the beach for the first time and had never been to that part of the world before and got to take our youngest daughter, Ashby, for some one-on-one time. And um, while we were down there, as is typical for a teenager, Ashby was not getting up first thing in the morning. And so I had a little extra time to go and to get her a surprise. So I pulled Ashby out of bed eventually and I said, Ashby, if you grab some breakfast, I've got a little surprise for you. So eat a little healthy breakfast and I've got something for you. So she wolfs down some some breakfast and then she comes to me and she's like, what's the surprise? I go into the fridge and I open up the fridge and I hand her a bag of baby carrots. And you should have seen the look on her face when she was like, no, this can't be it. This can't be possible. This can't be the surprise that you got me out of bed with. You couldn't have tricked me in this way. And the answer, of course, was that was not it. For earlier that morning, I had walked down the street to this famous place down in 30A, the Donut Hut, and I went inside and I grabbed a couple of these beauties. Look at that Oreo frosted donut, but particularly the close-up of that maple bacon donut. If anybody says to you that they don't believe in God, you just tell them three words, maple bacon donut proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. You see, what we truly know is that God, as our Heavenly Father, delights in loving and lavishing us. This world is full of God's glory and His goodness and blessing to each and every one of us. If only we will have the eyes of faith. Jesus once says that you, though you were evil, can give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? If you see God as kind of an obligation part of your life, you're really missing out on the motive of God rescuing us to delight in us. And so in David's swan song, we know that for David, that God is his shelter, his listener, his pleasure, but also his sustainer. In David's old age, he sings this. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving help my shield. Your kindness has made me great. 
in David's advanced age where he is past his prime, he is over the hill, he has lost the keys to the car. All of a sudden, David is singing about how with God's help, he could leap over a wall. Well, during this COVID time, the Conwishers have discovered a new streaming show. It's on Disney Plus and it's called Encore. And instead of me describing what it's like for you in short order, I'm gonna show you a 90 second trailer so that you can discover what this show's like for yourself. Let's watch it right now. Hi, I'm Kristen Bell, and this is Encore. I've never been more famous than I was my senior year. I didn't have a lot of self-confidence in high school. I'm an English teacher. I wait tables. Stay-at-home mom. I settled down, started raising a family. I never thought I would want to go back to high school. You ready for this? I don't know. Remount your production in a week's time. 17 year old Miss Hannigan did not have to wear specs. You're looking at me going, You play Danny Zuko? I had hair back then. We've hit some snags with some of the singing abilities. I'm an ordinary woman. <coughs> Whoop, you need water? <laughs> I don't know how I coped through high school. What advice would you give to the 15, 16 year old self? I moved to New York City and I performed, but now my kids are my passion. It's on the back burner, but I'll get there. Yeah, we always thought that we would be okay. Back then, I was a dancer, but I was involved in a hit and run. I knew I wasn't gonna walk again. There could be a creative way to do like this really magical dance moment. Very proud. I can't believe I did this. Seriously. She's been looking forward to doing something like this for a long time. Was mommy fantastic? Can you sing it to Christine? <laughs> Being on stage feels like someone else, but also more yourself than you've ever felt. This feels like getting to live in your imagination. Seeing everyone again brought back so many memories. Being able to be in the show will be one of the greatest treasures of my life. So here's a group of people who are seemingly past their prime, their acting career, the pinnacle of what they experienced in high school. And because of the years, sometimes even 30 years has passed since they were in high school or even more. One of the things when they bring them back to that town, to that place in order for them to redo that musical with a crash course with only one week to prepare, you see these people come alive. Yes, they've experienced hardships, and yes, they've experienced a whole lot of life and of pain, and yet now in this moment, they are able to do something that they never thought that they could do at their age. And the thing that comes up over and over again, besides the fact that almost at every episode my wife cries, is the fact that in those moments they realize the help that they've received from these Broadway producers, singing coaches, director, they are able to do things they never thought they could dream of again. They get that outside help. And because of that kindness, that assistance, they're able to be great once again. Your kindness 
has made me great, David sings. And you might find yourself in a position where you feel like you are past your prime. And I'm here to tell you that God's kindness continues to fill you with greatness. It's not because of your efforts, but because of his great invitation. And so in David's swan song, in his last prayer, God is his shelter, his listener, his pleasure, his sustainer. And now he says, God, you were my forever. In verses 50 and 51, it goes like this. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. David discovers that what God has been doing in him is not just for him and it's not just for now, but for all of eternity. Yesterday, for the first time since this pandemic started, I got on a plane and I flew down to Texas because I had to go to the funeral of a man who made a great impact on my life. I went down to the First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio to where I followed in the footsteps of a great pastor for over 30 years in that church. I was the successor to this man, a man by the name of Louis Zabinden. When I was in college and had walked away from the Christian faith, part of my journey back to faith was that someone invited me to go to church with them at First Pres. Louis Abendon was the pastor of that church, and because of his conviction, because of his compassion, because of his care, my soul started to be re-sutured and to be put back together again. One of the things that Lewis would always say after he finished every single scripture reading before he would preach, he would quote the words of Isaiah, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. That phrase and anchor each and every week that what was about to be spoken, what we were about to do is not some temporary help or quick fix, but it lasts into all of eternity. One of the things that I loved about Lewis was that he had an amazing tell when he would get really excited in the pulpit. He would shake his hand and he would have this kind of link bracelet watch on it and it would shake like a Texas rattler right before it was about to strike. You knew you were about to get God's word straight to your soul and heart when Lewis would be shaking and then he would strike with an incredible insight of God's passion and conviction of his word. One of the things that I can remember over and over again with Lewis was how often and how deeply and sincerely he would talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Sunday was a resurrection day, according to Lewis Abendon. He was at his very best at a funeral or at Easter. And right before he died, a friend of mine and of Lewis's for Almost 50 years, Ron Skates went to go be with Lewis. And he said, Lewis, for almost 50 years, you have preached the gospel of Jesus and you have proclaimed his resurrection. You have taught it faithfully. 
And now, it's time for you to receive that gift. And so just over a week ago, Lewis went to be with the Lord. But the legacy of his faithfulness will continue into eternity. Not just here on earth, but into the new creation to come. I'm not saying that David knew what resurrection was like. But I will say that I do believe that David knew that there was a tremor, a precursor, that in the lineage of his own family, nearly a thousand years later, that there would come an anointed one, a true king of Israel, someone who would conquer not just Philistines, but conquer death itself. God is the eternal king. And even when we get to the end of our life, he will take us into his blessed arms and renew us into his everlasting kingdom. And so if I had to summarize David Swan's song, I would summarize it this way. There's a place to go where someone is listening and help is available to remind you that you're not alone and that this isn't the end. In other words, these five attributes of God, my shelter, my listener, my pleasure, my sustainer, my forever. Is there a characteristic of David's swan song that you want to be true for the last song of your life? That when you get to the end, that you know not just who you are, but who God is to you. I truly believe that David's swan song reminds us of the accurate character of the living God. And that if you put your trust in him, even when you get to your last breath and your last song, it will ripple into eternity. And so let us pray. I thank you, God, that you are here, that you are present, and you are listening to these very words and even the quiet desires of our heart. That, Lord, we do have a place to go when we are in the midst of distress, that you hear our cries, that you take great delight in me. And, Father, we also believe that you will sustain us our whole lives and even into everlasting. And so, Father, impress upon us the true king of Jesus and David's line and that you give us the gift of life and life eternal. I pray for the person who doesn't necessarily believe that today, that they're stuck in that functional atheism or deism. And make yourself present to them wherever they are. And I pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen and amen.